going towards resort style drinks. Um, I think it is interesting. I think that tiki drinks have act they've almost from the start had a sort of stigma associated with them, um, which I think is unfounded to some extent because as some people we've talked to have pointed out, like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, if you wanted a craft cocktail or something that we would call a craft cocktail today in the United States, you'd have to go to Don the Beachcombers or Trader Vic's. Like there was no craft cocktail culture except what these people were doing with like, you know, always fresh squeezed juices, always like premium ingredients, interesting combinations of ingredients um, that was kind of not present in other forms of bars since Prohibition. Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for another episode, and not just another episode of the Decoding Cocktails podcast, but the 50th episode. So we made it over the hump. I don't know what hump that is, but we definitely made it over one. So today, uh, I'm going to take you back in time momentarily to uh, July of this year. Uh, one of the first people I met when I was uh, at Tales of the Cocktail this year was Alex Nisnevich. And as Alex and I were talking, uh, I believe we were talking in the uh, the room that hosted uh, a number of Singaporean bars over the course of Tales that year, I learned that Alex was working on a documentary film researching the arc uh, and present state of Tiki. And uh, we had a nice conversation, and then he had to jet because apparently he had to head somewhere, which was for part of his documentary work. Anyways, uh, the film, the crew at Talking Tiki Film, and you can find them at that.com as well as that handle, and there's a link certainly in the show notes, reached out to me to say, hey, uh, we're trying to spread the word about this documentary. Can we chat? And if there's one thing I've learned over the course of this podcast, it is certainly that anything can be interesting with enough work and, uh, and uh, kind of diving into it, and that is certainly what this crew is putting in. And I... What I love about this is they're certainly coming into this with all eyes open. They are coming into it as fans and curious about the craft of tiki, but also there is very much conversations in our culture uh, and globally today about things like appropriation and how do we tell stories. And uh, they're kind of taking this very holistic look at things. And one of the things that I knew going into the conversation, but just happened so apparently as we were diving in was tiki is i like if you hear this term you know uh one in you know even including the baggage but it's like i feel like the drinks are what we tend to think of we tend to think of as these tropical style drinks and yet tiki is so expansive uh as you'll hear uh when there are tiki gatherings they certainly take the drinks very seriously but the music the costumes all sorts of things are amped up a whole level. And so tiki is this whole, not even subculture of drinks, but really adjacent to and happens to overlap 
the drinks industry. And so Alex, uh, his partner, uh, Asali Eccles, and uh, Casey Beck joined me for a conversation to discuss their documentary. And if you are looking to help with a uh, niche project and maybe get a few perks, uh, they are currently, and hopefully you're listening to this as it comes out because they have a Kickstarter campaign that is winding down, which they will uh, talk about a little bit and I will link out to. But you're going to get to hear about uh, Tiki's overlapped with uh, uh, mid-century modern aesthetic, rockabilly culture, pinup culture. Uh, we'll talk about things like you just heard. Uh, the fact that Tiki, that these drinks, despite the fact that they can have some baggage around them, that for a while, as cocktail culture really began to uh, crash or recede into the, uh, the ocean, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, Tiki was where good cocktails still uh, could be found. And uh, Alex has a long passion in this, as you will hear, and Asali, uh, being partnered with him, certainly got caught by the bug. And Casey, as she likes to say, was so new to it that she said, uh, we've all been blown away and uh, happy with the conversations we said, we've had, but... Uh, Casey was quick to say that she feels like as the newcomer that she has been absolutely floored by what she has found in it. So their passion for the topic uh, has clearly ballooned over time. And so uh, you should definitely uh, enjoy this conversation. There'll be a link to their trailer as well as the Kickstarter, but dig into some of their content. I think it will make you fall in love with this project. And uh, yeah, if it feels right, consider helping. They are good people trying to tell what feels like a, uh, a great story. So you can find them, again, at Talking Tiki Film, and that's either the .com or their Instagram, and that will, take, of course, take you to the Kickstarter page and all that good stuff. Enjoy this conversation. All right, well, first of all, to the Talking Tiki team, Love a little alliteration to warm one up. I'm very happy that you guys are here. I was thinking, you know, Asali, you talk at the start of your um, promotional video for your Kickstarter, which we'll get to in a little while, that you talked about that during the pandemic is when you kind of really started building out, you know, kind of your home tiki bar. And while I did not build one, I, for me, one of my memories of Tiki really it goes back to the pandemic as well. I found myself reading Smuggler's Cove, one of the iconic books, of course. And it talked about, and I was having this this discussion with my friend Ryan at the time, where I feel like Tiki also became a little bit more of a sanctuary during the pandemic because we were all looking for one of the reasons it was originally created, which was a level of escapism when we uh, all desperately wanted to escape our our situation. So, you know, as people will see when they see the video, you and your partner, Asali, were making a uh, tiki bar at home. So tell us a little bit about that experience and what was the point in time when you went from I'm making a, a tiki bar to I'm making a documentary? Great question. Um, yeah, so our our tiki bar, it even though we started building it during the pandemic, it actually had its origins earlier. And to be perfectly honest, my partner is Alex, who is uh, the producer here. Um, and so Alex has been an amateur, and I wouldn't even say amateur, very good mixologist for quite some time. And at our old house, we used to have 
pop-up parties every two weeks. That was like a weekly tradition where our friends would come over. And we sort of, at one point, decided to go into the tiki direction. And Alex and two of our other friends who work in the alcohol and bartending industries went deep down the tiki rabbit hole. And basically, we're researching rums, trying to sort of get these recipes really authentic to how they would have been back in the day. And that party that we had, the tiki party, was a huge success. It was one of our best parties. And we were like, oh, this is fun. People like this. It, You know, the drinks are more interesting. It gives people sort of a, a theme for dressing up and whatnot. And so when we moved to the new house, the tiki bar was kind of a obvious choice for renovating this spare kind of garage unit that we had. And But as far as when it transitioned, well, what really happened was Alex and I, as we started to do this decoration and whatnot, I was getting nervous, to be completely honest. I was thinking, you know, I don't want to make a space that will make any of our friends uncomfortable. I don't want to have anything offensive on the wall. And I mean, you know, it is 2020. It was 2020, you know, there was a lot of cultural conversations happening about various, you know, ways that we have misused a lot of cultures throughout time. And I did not want to go in that direction. So we started researching this and really realized, wow, this is something people have thought about. We And we can lean on all of these other people's great ideas and research and sort of see what these other bars and bartenders are doing in this regard and really sort of learn from them as we create our little tiny tiki space. I love that. And um, uh, as a sidebar, uh, one of the, the parties I've, so here, at least in the, uh, I live just uh, off of a street called Cherokee Street here in St. Louis. And that's a city where uh, the city's large uh, Cinco de Mayo festival happens every year. And that unofficially, because they throw it on a Saturday, always is Kentucky Derby Saturday. Uh, with my last name being uh, LeBeau, I often threw a party called uh, La Cinco de Derby, and it was a lot of fun, but there was a point in time when I also started to have some of the same reservations. Like, you know, uh, while we weren't, I think, uh, doing anything that seemed uh, egregious, it was like, how do I make sure that I'm doing this in a way that um, doesn't make anybody uncomfortable? So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I will say just because I think it's important, it wasn't entirely that that sparked this documentary. It was also Alex and I were once driving to LA and he told me the whole story of Jeff Barry sort of doing the research. And that was actually what first made me think this is a movie because I was like, that is such a great detective story. How do you figure out recipes that have been lost to time? You know, and you're he's going around interviewing these bartenders on their deathbed and I mean I was just like why has no one made that narrative film let alone a documentary you know it's a great treasure hunt story it's a you know and that was kind of actually what I first pitched Casey on in New Orleans it wasn't necessarily this um what are we doing about tiki and appropriation angle so just sure. wanted to yeah. No, 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 no. You're right because we're not. Yeah, we. I don't want the conversation to st to strictly be that. But uh, I, just recognizing that uh, that that mental spark you had there. So to start at the highest level, I mean, I think probably anybody listening to this, uh, hopefully, unless they're in the wrong place, and if they are, welcome. Uh, you know, to start at the highest level, tiki is a term that I think most people are going to be familiar with, and yet I think. For people, like the definition that they might ascribe to tiki, I bet is never going to be big enough. So, so start by telling us kind of a little bit of the origin 
And um, how do you guys kind of think about, like, how would you define what tiki is, especially beyond the drinks, since that's what we obviously are here in part at times to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, like, that, what is tiki is at the heart of the film. Um, the the origin, I mean, so we're coming up on 100 years. Uh, so for anything that's been around for 100 years, uh, you know, as a cultural phenomenon, of course, like, it changes. But it started in the 1930s in Los Angeles um, by uh, Don Don the Beachcomber. I, that is his taken name. Um, Ernest Gant was his, uh, you know, government name. And uh, he, after a storied life of of traveling and exploration. Um, which like no one quite knows how much of that is true or not. He settled in Los Angeles and created Tiki. Um, at that point, he didn't even call it Tiki. Uh, it was, but it was rum based drinks that he called his rum Rhapsodies um, in a tropical restaurant that was created by production designers from the movie industry. So very immersive experience. Um, served mostly with Chinese and South Asian, Southeast Asian food. So that was kind of the, the origin in the 1930s, very quickly repli replicated in the Bay Area by uh, Trader Vic. Um, and, and so Trader Vic's is now a, a very popular tiki, you know, international franchise. Um, and from there, just kind of replicated across the United States. It, it's had its waves uh, over the last hundred years. Another high point being in the 1950s after World War II, when service people came back from the, you know, the Pacific sphere. And um, I, this is the part that seems odd to me, I guess, wanted to like relive that in, in Tiki bars. I don't, you know, I, uh, I don't, I don't seek to understand what, you know, um, World War II veterans returning from, you know, from the Pacific were trying to do with Tiki, but it blew up um, at that point. And then it did experience much of a downfall through the, through the 80s. Uh, and then to what Asali's point was resurrected. As to what it is today, you know, there is, is a big question. There, of course, are rum-based drinks. I mean, I think that is like probably the number one thing, although not just rum. I think now that is it, there is a wider net being cast of like, what do we consider to be a, a tiki drink? Um, there is still tropical decor, although this is this gets to this question of appropriation and what space feels inclusive for all people. And there are people thinking through that of how do I create a restaurant or bar that uh, has the essence of tiki, but does but does so in a way that feels inclusive. Um, there's dress. There's, uh, you know, this kind of mid-century modern vibe uh in and and then there's all of the ways that this intersects uh, there's music sorry let me go back there's music as well exotica music um and then there are all the ways that this intersects with other subcultures and and or subgenres in american culture so you know in in los angeles or in southern california today there's um the intersection with the rockabilly culture um there's this 
across the US, like a lot of interest in space tiki. Um, so how, you know, different different restaurants and bars playing with that idea, um, or even aviation tiki, I'll say like, you know, different bars taking it different ways. So it's it people are also making it attaching it to their own culture. So someone we've interviewed are, you know, the Vato Sutiki, who uh, unabashedly mix what they call Vato culture and Tiki culture. Um, and so it's what it is, is always oh, dynamic. Um, it's it's it has evolved over the last 100 years, it continues to evolve. Um, and I think that's what makes it interesting is just talking to all of these different people about what is this thing? Why? And why do you do it? Why? Why do you care? Why do you, you know, why? Why spend the money and time and effort um, to, to do this thing? And I think that's probably part of, you know, what you've touched on, Casey, is what I was also interested in is um, that it feels at moments like when we talk about Tiki that we, we can be thinking about the drinks, but there really is a whole lifestyle beyond this. I remember um, Adrian Stoner of Plantation Rum uh, really kind of talking about that, you know, <clears throat> she obviously comes to this via spirits and cocktails, but that especially in her newer role with Plantation, you know, there's this whole other subculture that is really more cocktail adjacent that obviously includes it, but it really is more of a, you know, a lifestyle and a vibe. And I think we get that when we step into some of these places. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, in terms of like, so we talk about like, like space tiki, we got to come back to that. But yeah, I guess... When you were at, so I don't know if there's a way to compare this, but to maybe talk about it, like um, since Alex and I met at Tales of the Cocktail, obviously we have kind of a a convention format that surrounding booze and all this, you know, wonderful spirits and cocktails and culture. But what is it like when you go to a tiki centric event? Like, what what is the difference in terms of what one finds there? And I'm sure it's a lot. And if the question's too big, do what you will with it. But I guess I'm trying to figure out for the people who are more there for the tiki, where there happens to be drinks. Tell me about this lifestyle a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I will say I probably came, I, I came to this with the least knowledge and experience about tiki out of anyone on the team. Um, and so I was one of those people when Asali and Alex pitched me, I was like, you mean the tiki bars, like the, the tropical, is that even a thing? Um, and so I maybe had my mind blown the most because I had no idea what to expect. And, um, it is just wonderfully immersive. I mean, it is uh, every, everyone is really bringing their whole selves, their whole like tiki selves, you know, which might be like a hyperbolic version of yourself. It might be, you know, it's might be something you kind of put on to do. Um, and when you go, I mean, like the, uh, there's a huge, I will say when you go to a tiki space or convention, there is like a, a big emphasis. It's undeniable of the mid-century modern, um, like pinup adjacent for, for women um and you know kind of that like rockabilly vibe for men um but then because of the world we live in there's also like everything else so then there's like 
people dressed as jellyfish walking around, people dressed as mermaids walking around, people dressed as sailors walking around. It's, it is all, I will say, nautical is a defining feature of the, the like costuming that people wear. Um, people take the cocktails so seriously. Uh, I think that really took me by surprise that I thought like, oh, like, you know, if you don't know Tiki and you're like, oh, like, oh, what, like my ties? Like, you don't think of this whole kind of spread and array of these delicious drinks made with these really high quality ingredients um, by really skilled bartenders. So I, I think that took me by surprise. But yeah, and then and then, you know, you have the Exotica music. It It's wherever Tiki people congregate, it becomes its own little sphere of 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 escapism of just like drop into that space and, and be in that space. So obviously, uh, everybody need, will need to see the documentary when it comes out and we'll talk about where you can pledge your money in a bit. But, um, but yeah, I remember with some of the content you guys have been putting out recently, seeing like some of the, uh, you know, the, the outtakes from various Tiki more centric events you guys have done. So Alex, with you kind of, uh, intentionally or unintentionally being the catalyst for Asali, like going back, like, you know, what is it that, you know, you acquired all of this useful, some might call it useless, I call it useful knowledge about, about Tiki. Like what kind of initially drove that? Was there drinks or was it just a fascination with the culture? How did you kind of come to start diving down this? And I, I certainly would like to talk a little bit about drinks at some point, but what kind of got you sucked into this wormhole in the first place? Um, for me, I would definitely have to say it started with the drinks. Um, and it's interesting because we talk to all these people throughout the Tiki world and they really come at it from different angles. Like some people were drawn in by the music, first of all. Some people were drawn in by the art. Like a lot of people come from like the you know mid-century modern design aesthetic. Um, for me, it started with drinks. Um, I've been like a passionate home bartender um, for much of my life. And I think it really started with the quest to make the perfect Mai Tai. Um, I mean, you know, it's kind of a, it's definitely a tiki trope. I, there's definitely fancier drinks out there, but I, I've always, it's been my favorite drink for as long as I can remember. And it's, you know, there's many bad Mai Tais out there and there's many good ones too. And going down this journey of like, you know, what is the right spec to use? What are the right rums to use? Like how, what technique do you use? Like, how do you, you know, max, make the most out of this very simple format drink? Um, that really started me on a journey of learning about other tiki drinks and being like, oh, you know, now that I now that I have orjat syrup, like what else can I make with orjat syrup? Now that I have like, say, like Denizen Merchants Reserve rum, what else can I use this rum for? And it's kind of like, you know, this this it accreted into this like larger sphere um, of drinks that I was interested in making um, as Asali kind of uh, talked about and kind of brought me more into this world of tiki uh, that then got me thinking about, um, you know, kind of the rest of the, the rest of the tiki package, as you can say. I think the real question we're all asking is, uh, is the t-shirt that reads introverted, but willing to discuss my tie specs, the best shirt in the drinks world or not? Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, go ahead. I would 100% this, this shirt would describe me. Um, <laughs> I can talk my tie specs with anybody all day long. <laughs> um, so, you know, Alex, to that and diving down, like, I mean, 
I have covered ad nauseum, I feel like at times on the podcast, obviously, you know, the the slow and, and strong return of drinks of like from all completely being lost to, um, you know, a lot of good drinks being available, still plenty of bad ones being out there. You know, I guess I'm curious when it comes to uh, daiquiris, Mai Tais and other, you know, you know, beach style resort drinks. I guess I'm curious, like rum, like one, I always like to say that rum has still never had its Tito's vodka, Hendrix gin moment where people are suddenly like mainstream pulled back into the category. And maybe that can also be a good thing at times where the categories can become oversaturated, but I don't know how much to ascribe to it to that, but it feels like that the, res- the, the bad resorts out there and the dark stages of Tiki or the cocktail have really still never recovered for it. And so like, I mean, there's probably the same arc of like people forgetting how to make drinks using bad ingredients because industries like here, here's sweet and sour mix. But like, what is your read on why tiki drinks have such a bad rap compared to, I feel like a lot of other cocktails are more viewed more openly these days. Um, this is a, it's a great, um, I almost want to say like a series of questions. Um, so, I mean, to touch on rum, I will say like, I think it's important to note that we are living through pretty much like the greatest renaissance in the history of the rum industry in modern times right now. Um, there's just so much availability of so many amazing rums that we just like, as consumers, we would never have had access to these products even a decade ago. I just want to want to shout out one of my absolute favorites that I'm drinking right now, the Black Tot 50th anniversary, which is a Navy style blend of nine different rums, including three from distilleries that haven't existed for decades. I mean, it's definitely there's a lot of specialty product rums, but the fact that they're available at all is incredible. Um, and definitely there is a lot of mainstream education that can occur. Um, a lot, I think a lot of people have very poor associations with rum and that needs to change. And we've talk to some people like Matt Pietrick, who have really made it their life's mission to educate people about just how cool rum is, not even as a spirit, but like as a family of spirits, because, you know, rums from made in different styles from different islands can be almost a completely different product. Um, Going towards resort style drinks. um, I think it is interesting. I think that tiki drinks have actually, they've almost from the start had a sort of stigma associated with them. Um, which I think is unfounded to some extent, because as some people we've talked to have pointed out, like in the 30s, 40s and 50s, if you wanted a craft cocktail or something that we would call a craft cocktail today in the United States, you'd have to go to Don the Beachcombers or Trader Vic's. Like there was no craft cocktail culture except what these people were doing with like, you know, always fresh squeezed juices, always like premium ingredients, interesting combinations of ingredients. Um, that was kind of not present in other forms of bars since Prohibition. Um, I think that just like there was a dark age for cocktails in general that lasted much of the 20th century in the U.S., I think tiki drinks went through a dark age too. Um, I think as these like the people, the giants who ran uh, the original bars like either, you know, passed away or they like, you know, stepped away from being actively involved in things. Um, I think people got, people started substituting cheaper ingredients. They started caring less about, um, you know, making drinks be balanced. Um, And what's interesting is also like a lot of times 
there was a deliberate choice to make multiple versions of drinks, um, including what we, we may think of as like more pure drinks and more resorty drinks. Um, like the addition, you know, a lot of times today you go to a place that maybe is not known for its drinks and you try to get a Mai Tai and has pineapple juice and orange juice. And you're like, what's going on? Like who came up with this? Trader Vic did. Um, Trader Vic, when he uh, opened the, when he started the beverage program at the Royal Hawaiian in the 1950s, he decided uh, to make a Mai Tai variant that was more palatable to what he thought was like the less refined taste of tourists going to Hawaii. And he was like, yeah, let's add pineapple juice to it. Sure, it's Hawaii, why not? Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's always been like multiple threads running through where like some drinks were intentionally, you could say butchered to appeal to kind of a different demographic or like people who maybe want something sweet and don't really care that much about getting like a quote unquote, like, you know, nice drink. It, it just occurred to me, uh, breakthrough right here, right now. Um, but I wonder, you know, clearly some of the, the, the seeds for this were already sown, but I was just thinking with the rise of the all you, you know, all inclusive resort, it was like, I mean, no problem. You want 74 drinks in an eight day period. We've got you covered because it's all going to be not so if anything, that kind of reinforces the like the lack of commitment is like, hey, how do you make this happen by either charging a lot of money or by using ingredients that aren't going to be great? And of course, just having a staff that doesn't even know what they're hasn't probably properly been trained to begin with. But yeah, all that certainly makes sense. And I do love your point that uh, tiki culture would have held on much longer than a lot of cocktails post uh, World War II and whatnot, uh, obviously was part of the the wave that it rode at that point in time. So, you know, as you guys already know, like I have a handful of questions. If there are ever angles we're not exploring, let me know because I want to, I, we're, I, it's, the more we dive into this, I just feel like the world opening up and I'm like, oh my God, there's, which is why a documentary is required that is curated and well thought. Um, so I think like, to, to the home bartender out there. So even, I forget where it is. I had my copy of an Easy Tiki by Chloe. I, I, Chloe, I won't, I, I won't uh, attempt to uh, butcher her last name. Frechette, I think maybe, maybe I will attempt to butcher it. Uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, obviously you talked about the people you've met in this world and you guys are some of these people now who are into this are very into it, which is great. But I think about, when I think about making a stab at, at a tiki style drink. I remember in her book, Easy Tiki, like there, there are certainly the more complex ones. She's like, here are the easy ones and like six ingredients or less, which for some people, that's like a good, you know, running start of a number of things to have on hand. So what are your thoughts about committing or trying out tiki at home? How does a person do this without a $400 run to the liquor store any thoughts on where you start? And obviously a Mai Tai is a pretty simple place to start, but what are your thoughts on taking a plunge in this at home? I can take this one. Yeah, I think Tiki has this reputation of being something very complicated, like something that's best left to the professionals. Um, I think that's completely false. Um, I think like all forms of drinks, like all forms of cooking, there are more accessible and less accessible drinks that you can make um, in the Tiki sphere. I mean, the Mai Tai, as you mentioned, I think is a fantastic starting point. I mean, you don't you don't need a fancy rum. You can get like, you know, you can make an amazing Mai Tai with like a $30 rum and then find an Orjat syrup. That's maybe a specialty product, but you can get it in any state. 
Um, you can get a dry Curacao or really any orange liqueur and fresh limes, which, you know, it's 2020. They're available year round. Um, you can, you know, for $40 worth of ingredients, you can make an amazing Mai Tai at home that can probably rival any, almost any like local restaurant or bar that you can go to. Um, I think a lot of people starting out, and this is true for Tiki and for other forms of home bartending, they're like, oh, I need to make this list of like, you know, a dozen different spirits I need. I want to have a well-stocked bar. I mean, you know, Chris, you, you, I feel like you do a lot of like lessons for introductory home bartending. And I feel like you probably dissuade people from this approach. Um, but it's true in Tiki too. Like you can, there's this fantastic uh, book that we really like by Matt Pietrick called Minimalist Tiki, where his whole approach is like, you know, it sounds like an oxymoron, you know, minimalist Tiki, but he argues that you only need six rums to make six bottles of rum to make basically any tiki drink uh, that you would want to make. And really, you only really need two or three to make most of them. Um, and I think it makes sense to just start by thinking about what are the like, you know, two or three tiki drinks you're most excited about. Maybe don't start with a zombie, maybe start with something simpler and just kind of like get the ingredients for those and then build your way up. Um, and what's cool is that, like, if you want to get fancier, there's infinite ways to get fancier. But you can start at a, like, for example, I really love uh, The Ancient Mariner, which is a Jeff Berry original from, I think, the 90s. It's kind of like a variation on the Mai Tai spec uh, with uh, all spice dram. Um, and well, it's, it's slipping my mind, but there's there's one other flavor component instead of the Orjat um, and the Curacao. And you can make a, you know, you can, with $40 of ingredients, you can make a nice ancient mariner. Um, if you want to play around with different rums, you can do that. That'll probably elevate the drink. Um, you can absolutely make your own all-spice dram at home to kind of hone in on the exact spice notes you want. You can do that. Um, you can just use a shaker um, or you can get like a Hamilton Beach drink mixer like the tiki bars use. That'll definitely elevate the drink too. Like once you have a drink you like, there's many ways to make it, you know, just a little bit better, but you don't need any of that to start with. And if I can just add, um, you know, Alex mentioned uh, Jeff Beachbum Berry. I mean, part of the work that he did in the 90s was to decode some of the original recipes. So the recipes from the 30s were were written in code um, to the point where even the bartenders didn't always know what was in the drink because it was like, you know, half of, of X and it was literally a bottled like, you know, X and they just were someone, someone else had mixed it, brought it out to the bar, they're pouring it mixed, you know, so it was um, for a long time, there was, this was shrouded in secrecy. And thanks to the work of, of the many, uh, you know, archaeologists, they, you know, urban archaeologists of the 90s, these are now widely available recipes. So um, what came to mind as Alex was was talking was we wanted to have a slow motion shoot, stylized shoot of a drink being made. And Alex is our our film team's resident bartender, but he was busy. And so Asali had to step in and she was like, OK, here it goes. And, uh, Chris Wooten, our creative director, and I were like, Asali, it doesn't actually have to be the recipe. It's going to all be in slow motion. And she's like, no, I'm following the recipe. And she's, you know, banging the ice and squeezing the limes. And 
for a person who's, you know, I don't think us all you'd consider yourself an amazing bartender, but for a, just a person, any old person can now follow these recipes. And she put together a pretty darn good drink just, you know, off the cuff. So any, <laughs> I, I would say anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, no, that's, that's helpful. And I, I certainly remember reading that, that uh, Don, the beachcomber had, um, yeah, that he would certainly uh, coded a lot of his recipes to try to protect them from, you know, Trader Vic and other people that were interested or might just want to peel off and do their own thing. So so with kind of some of the exploration you have done at this point in time, um, if like in an era of where we're talking about appropriation, we're talking about, uh, you know, seeing various reckonings happening. So how do you think about still using the usage of the word tiki and when we want to do this. I mean, hopefully there's some common sense parameters of how to not um, uh, simplify or make fun of other cultures. But how do you think about people leaning into this in a way that is very generous and considerate? How do we how do we honor this? And are there any watch outs you guys have in terms of well, what, have, what have you learned so far from the people you've talked to in your research? That's a complicated question. Maybe I'll say a little bit and then Casey, I'll let you jump in. I mean, I really honestly think like most things, there's no answer to that. It completely depends on who you're talking to. We have interviewed people who absolutely think the word tiki should not be used anymore. And why are like that, um, this person's sort of went into using the word tropical instead of tiki to refer to this genre and the drinks that they are making. Um, other people think Tiki's not really, I mean, yes, it sort of does refer back to, you know, another culture at some point, but it was, Tiki itself was truly an American invention that was created here, like so many sort of melting pot things in America. It's not, it doesn't actually refer back anywhere to a real thing that you can point to and say they stole this idea from here. So I think it completely depends on who you talk to. I mean, yeah, I'll let Casey continue. That's sort of, I just wanted to say that for now. Yeah, no, yeah, no thank you. I, first, I just, I, I, whether or not it's a good question, I, I, I appreciate you also saying like it's, there's not an answer and it's more like, how do you think about like taking this, you know, uh, one step at a time. So Casey, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I would just second what Asali said. I mean, part of our, our purpose for the film is to interview um, ev you know, everyone on that spectrum or, or as many people as we can on that spectrum of, of belief and ideology about, about what, you know, whether as I think as like, whether we should even be using the word tiki is kind of comes down to the heart of it. Um, and, and there are people who say, well, you know, if you have a tropical bar that is tropical themed with, you know, tiki style drinks, but let's say tropical drinks, if it doesn't have a tiki mug with a face on the mug in the bar, it's not even a tiki bar, right? They would say, well, it's, it has to be called a tiki bar. It has to have a, a tiki mug in the bar. There are bar owners we've interviewed who are very, um, 
have been very like systematic about making sure it is a tropical bar about not having any tiki um in the tiki's in the bar a representation that outside of their own culture in the bar who then in the press are called tiki bars and they're like no the whole point is we don't want to be a tiki bar right so i think it's it's incredibly complicated um you know for us like inspiring the discussion having the discussion is is I would say half the battle. And even on the team, I, you know, I think we all have different opinions about that. And part of it is to be able to talk about, okay, well, what do you think about this? And is that, you know, is that okay? Is this person pushing it too far? But I, I do feel like the, the, where we are in culture today is, uh, trying to move more commercial ventures towards tropical away from tiki um and then the artistry has you know it has this like history and again coming out of la that is mid-century and then through mid-century modern that i think you know that histor these historic pieces of art are tiki art that is what it was called at the time and um or at the time that in the 50s when it was made and and so it's the language language is hard you know i mean i think that's where we're at and in this this 2023 almost 2024 is recognizing that the language can be hard and being willing to have the conversations about it if if i may jump uh jump in on this question i think it's also interesting that Tiki is kind of the term that's become the catch-all for this genre of like of drink and of immersive experience because uh, neither Don the Beachcomber nor Trader Vic's ever really used the term tiki with with their initial uh, bar projects. Um, I know that uh, Don the Beachcomber liked to use the term rum rhapsodies. Uh, he used tropical to describe like what the theme of his bar was. I think Trader Vic also used the term tropical and it seems like the notion of the tiki bar, quote unquote, is something that maybe was coined sometime in the 50s, uh, kind of in retrospect to, to define this style. Uh, but it's interesting that the people who started the style didn't actually use that word, uh, which, you know, it's part of the whole like language is hard part of this. And and I think it's also worth noting, I mean, sorry, Chris, cut us off anytime. Clearly, we can talk, we can talk about this for a long time. Um, you know, the word tiki is a, a Maori word from New Zealand. It, it is the representation of a god. I mean, so that is what a the word tiki means. Um, and I think like so many things in American culture, like, yes, there is the taking of that word and using it to mean something else entirely. Um, so, you know, to, just to recognize that that word is a Maori word and it is uh, part of the religious tradition of the Maori people. Sure. And yeah, and I can appreciate how at some point in time, one, you're going to have very hard line opinions, but also, you know, as again, not that her opinion is the, the end all be all, but I remember, you know, Adrian Stoner saying when she was at Lost Lake that Paul McGee's take was like, hey, like, I mean, we're going to remove the iconography from this and be more of a tropical bar. And clearly this word, which to your point is, is taken, borrowed, et cetera, from a culture. But the minute we remove these things, a lot of that, a lot of the potential issue is removed, even though the memory is still going to be there for it. But to your point, it's like, yeah, tiki has just become a word that, like, we didn't ask for it to be attached. Like, you know, and some people, if they could get it to unstick, it would, but like, it's just a tiki bar at this point. Like, that's the cultural institutional memory we have of that now. So, 
no, I appreciate you guys kind of taking, um, has there been, I'm sure there's many moments and we'll kind of, and we can te- use this to segue into the actual documentary that you guys are working to produce, but I don't know, is there a moment that you guys have just, that one of you is, or any of you that have felt like, um, just so blown away by something that someone shared that, that, that is just topical. Like, you know, you've interviewed so many people already, but what comes to mind in terms of a moment you were just like, I had no idea. Well, mine, mine, I think because I was primed by this thinking about Tiki sort of thing, I was thinking about what Chalky Tom said, which her theory as to why Americans are so obsessed with Tiki is because, you know, American culture is so ill-defined. And so many of us are immigrants who don't, I mean, or from, you know, various European ancestries or just various really disparate ancestries and have no actual connection to any of those traditions. And so that's why so many Americans have sort of latched into this tiki genre as something. And I mean, we've seen this at Tiki Oasis, like people take this seriously. Like they have the outfits, the costumes, like they spend their days thinking about what they're going to wear at the next Tiki Oasis. And I mean, it's, it's just a way to sort of, you know, have some coherence to uh, coherent style and, you know, shape to your life that we might not be getting in American culture that in other countries where there's sort of more heritage things. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but that really struck me as interesting because I think American culture is so, you know, there is no American culture that you can pinpoint. And Tiki (laughs) is an actual strange outgrowth of American culture that has seen, does seem to have legs. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, I think the thing, this is a totally different um, angle on it. And and I'm very appreciative of that, of that answer, Asali. I think, um, I feel like in talking to Sam Miller, um, who uh, is at a bar called Acme Bar, currently called Acme Bar in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's will be renovating it and revealing a new tropical bar next year. Um, you know, I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, he's like, I, I, he's in hospitality, he, you know, and he's, he's a person who's, who's done a lot of thinking about creating inclusive spaces and about how to push the genre forward and how to make sure that everyone feels welcome. And, and as he said, it's like, I'm in hospitality, like my job is to create a space where everyone feels welcome. And so, you know, he, um, he, he's, that's his goal. And I remember him telling us or telling me, I don't even think it was in the interview, but just in talking to him, planning logistics, we've seen him a couple of times through the year. I was like, Oh, how's it going? And he's like, you know, last night I had a room full of black people in Salt Lake city, Utah, doing a rum tasting. He's like, what more could I ask for than that? Like, and as a person of color himself, he's like, what more, uh, like, that is it, whatever happens with the bar. He's like, I feel like I've um like blown open this door for people in a way that is really meaningful for him and really meaningful for them and as he thinks it thinks of it as a a person who works in hospitality like what more can you ask for than to create a space for everyone to come and try this uh you know genre of cocktail and and lifestyle and enjoy it that's great then no truly thank you for sharing that so so tell us a little bit about i mean we are uh, hopefully a, a documentary is 
in the near future. And we are currently raising some funds because I've heard it, it takes time and effort to produce one. So tell us about the film. Tell us about the Kickstarter. Kind of give us give us the pitch on things right here, please. Well, we if you if you want to know more, if you want to hear more about these interviews and about um, all you know, hear from all the people we've met, both some of the very um, lauded old guard, the people who have been doing this work for now, you know, coming up on 30, 40 years, uh, and some of the new guard people who are the fresher faces of tiki and tropical cocktails and bars that is we are trying to kind of blend all of their stories into a, a defining moment of what is tiki what is this today um why does it matter today why do people continually come to it and be drawn to it to it i mean if you get into this tiki like uh you're circling around it you get close enough you're gonna get drawn in like it's just inescapable that gravity from tiki um, so that will be the film is is following all of these people we are we've been filming just over a year uh we are hoping to wrap it early like first half of 2024 get everything that we need um this film has been self-funded until this point so we have uh basically put our own money into making this film because we believe in it we think it's so interesting and unique and there's nothing else like it out there right now um in the film world and so we get to a point where like okay we need help we need to call in the the tiki family call in you know the cocktail uh <clears throat> connoisseurs and and ask for help. So that's why we we are. That's when we started the Kickstarter. Um, Asali, do you want to tell some of the things, the, some of the rewards, what what we're offering it for your pledge? Sure. So yeah, the Kickstarter. Um, we actually we have just a little over a week left. Um, so well, I don't know when this podcast will air, but it. Well, it yeah. So, so you'll have a. So for everybody listening, get your pledges out because yeah, you'll have about twenty four hours. I think thirty six hours after this comes out. So. You, guys, you, you all will be the saviors of the Kickstarter. You're going to bring us over the finish line. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the reward. So, you know, really any level of pledge is helpful. And our sort of at our lower tiers, what you get is you actually get a, a link to watch the film before it screens anywhere else and when it's first ready. And that link will just be yours forever to watch the film, which actually is more cool than you think because in this day and age where we think everything's available on streaming, but then you turn on your Roku and you're like, what? I can't actually find that thing. It's not on Netflix anymore. It's nice to have something where you know where it is. And I mean, I personally think the film's going to be very entertaining and fun and a great, you know, host a tiki party, try out your brand new Mai Tai recipe and have some friends over. Like it could be, I mean, I think it's going to be a great group screening thing as well. So and yeah, so for the $25 tier, you get the link as well as uh, well, a thank you in the credits. We're thanking everyone uh, who gives at that level. And then going up, you know, we have t-shirts, we have umbrellas, swizzle sticks, coasters. Uh, the pirate tier, I believe, is the t-shirt tier at 100, right, Casey? Mm -hmm. And then sort of jumping, oh, we do have a very exciting tier beyond that which 
actually for your listeners, this might be the most interesting. So Sam Miller, who Casey just mentioned, who's a great, great bartender in Salt Lake City, he is actually creating a custom cocktail recipe for our film. And he is going to hop. And so if you sign up for this tier, we'll do a Zoom with you and Sam where Sam will actually, you'll get a list of ingredients ahead of time and Sam will walk you through making this drink as well as give fun tips and tricks that, you know, he his little special secrets of uh, how he is such a great bartender. So that's pretty cool. I think that's a great tier for folks who are really deep down the cocktail rabbit hole. Um, and going up from there, if you are interested in getting into Tiki, you have to have mugs. And we have an incredible mug designed by a very cool up-and-coming tiki ceramicist named christine she's ricky tat tiki is her her shop and she's awesome we actually interviewed her for the film she's probably the most genuine and enthusiastic person i've ever talked to in my life and i've talked to a lot of people for documentaries so christine's <laughs> amazing her work is gorgeous um it's a and the mug is really cool it's also specially designed for this film and it goes with the theme of conversation. So it's actually a bird with a speech bubble. And the speech bubble is dry erase material. So you can actually write on it with a whiteboard marker and write whatever message you want. And uh, you can you can see sort of examples. Unfortunately, these pictures don't quite do it justice because it's not the actual ceramic mug, but it's her napkin sketch of what it will look like. And if you look at her other work on her website, you'll see the amount of detail and care she puts into her ceramics is unparalleled. So that's a great tier. And then going up from there, I mean, we we love our higher tier folks. There's uh, custom. Well, there's, there's a, do you want to, I was going to say the, the tier that we have yet to uh, have any backers on, we're not taking it personally. But we're hoping that someone will back uh, at the, you get to go on a tiki bar crawl either in the Bay Area with Asali, Alex, or in our creative director, Chris Wooten, or you get to go on a bar, bar tiki bar crawl with um, our other producer, Katie Pham, and myself in New Orleans. So uh, it's on, drinks are on us, stories on us. It'd be a, a night to remember or not um so that that is still floating out there for people to to grab a hold of uh and and yeah we're looking also for executive producers as well sure yeah. i'll say uh for anybody who is uh looking to not make a donation don't watch the content on their instagram page uh jokingly i'm saying this because so let me let me wind that back up just to make sure i said that right so uh if you are i recommend watching their content if you are on the fence because uh some of the excerpts from their interviews uh like i was watching the excerpt from the interview with uh shannon mustafer uh yesterday and uh it's just this thing where i was like man i'm getting great vibes about this thing so uh now you can just tell that you guys have put a lot of time and care into that so Thank you. And there's more where that comes from. We're going to be rolling out some more of those excerpts as well. Um, I mean, I think we've interviewed like 15 or 20 people at this point and have, you know, many more to go, but we really, we really do want to collect all of these experiences and stories and weave them together in a film that, um, people will enjoy, you know, I think our film, we want to be what, 
what what tiki does for the world we want our film to do as well which is just create a a place for people to have fun and talk about some of these things and think through some of these things um but not take itself so seriously and kind of just enjoy the enjoy the ride a little bit well and yeah like i mean i i even remember like just the diligence put in because uh alex and i were having a great conversation at, at tales and suddenly he ran off on me because I think there was an interview that needed to be done. So, uh, so, so, uh, so yeah, no, I mean the, uh, the hard work has clearly, clearly been put in. So. Yes. Well, I think that must've been the Shannon interview actually that I was running off. to. <laughs> it paid off. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, documentary, it looks, it may look like we're just going around drinking and like, you know, chatting with people, but documentary filmmaking is actually, um, it is hard work and, you know, most of what we're looking for funding for is to actually just do the traveling to do these interviews. You know, we, we've really only stuck to California, New Orleans and Salt Lake because that was what was in our budget, but we want to go to the East coast. There's some great, interesting places in the Midwest. We, there's some history and some other interesting places in Hawaii. And I mean, it's, we want to expand our net and just have the funds to actually do the rest of the film, like the post-production, the music scoring, sound design. We we are we're putting in a lot of our own sort of skills for free, but we have to pay our sound designer, you know. So yeah, we want it to be as good a film as it can be, so we can sort of get it out to as wide of an audience as possible. Yeah. So I think it's all pretty straightforward, but uh, in terms of where to find it, and we will, of course, link to it all in the show notes, but so is it uh, Talking Tiki Film? Is that what it is? Or what, what, what's the handles and the URLs and all that good stuff? Yeah, Talking Tiki Film is our Instagram. And um, if you go to TalkingTikiFilm.com, you'll get to sort of a page that'll show you to the Kickstarter, our website, which has more information, or the Instagram. So Talking Tiki Film is the is what you want to know. Okay. Uh, clearly, first of all, it's it's obvious that we could have this conversation for forever and continue to explore things. Is there anything, are there any burning points we didn't get across that you guys wanted to talk about this evening? I'll just say as the, as the recent convert to tiki and tropical drinks, um, you know, for, for the, people listening who are into cocktails, but are like tiki, what's, you know, really, I, I would say, go find your, your local tiki bar. Like they are everywhere now. So there is probably one in your town um, and go. And I think you will be super impressed. And then also check out all, all of, there's so much literature recipe books, um, out there now and as alex said earlier like it's it's really these drinks are not that hard to make when you start at the easy basic level like always room to you know go up but um give it a try i i don't think you will regret it i think you will wonder why you did not do it sooner i i know i did that's been my experience and if you're and if you're you're not sure where to start uh alex will delightedly uh, talk my tie specs with you so <laughs> <laughs> any day anytime anywhere uh guys this has honestly been a real treat so thank you for taking the time to chat i really appreciate it thank you chris this has been fun yeah thank you so much <laughs>
Hey everybody, thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktail. Mm-hmm.